Has this ever happened to you? Uh, I'm trying to express my musical vision with this guitar, but I just can't get the sound I want out of this. There's got to be a better way. <laughs> oh, Tom, trying to use silly traditional instruments. If only he knew their traditional tuning, limited layout, and hobbled handling was a thing of the past. Tom, wouldn't you like an instrument that gives you unique sonic capabilities? Sure. One that better reacts to the natural movements of your body? That sounds amazing. One based on technology? Uh, of course, of course. I, I should get a theremin. A theremin? Don't be a chump. I'm talking about a linstrument. Hey, Scott, remember when you used to go out and see a concert with other people? You mean from the before time? Sure. I do seem to recall that experience. And you know how pretty much universally at some point between songs, someone near the front thinks it's hilarious to yell out Freebird. Yeah, what's up with that? Like bands even take requests. They have a set list, people. I think it comes down to people like to have a stock bit of quirkiness to fall back on. Most aren't that obnoxious. Let me give you some other examples. What's the quirky answer for your favorite Christmas movie? Die Hard. Oh, man, I see what you mean. Okay, not that there's anything bad about that movie, but it's kind of the default wacky answer. I've noticed one when it comes to musical instruments. Let me guess. Someone asks what your favorite instrument is, and the quirky response is the therapy. Bingo. And don't get me wrong, really quirky instrument. I mean, you don't actually touch it to play it. It was based off of Soviet research into proximity sensors, and it definitely has cultural tie-ins to mid-century sci-fi. Let me be clear. Absolutely nothing wrong with the theremin. It's fine. Just like Freebird and Die Hard. All we're trying to say is that in the world of unusual instruments, the theremin is the beginning of the conversation, not the end. Freebird and Die Hard. Sorry, it sounds like a sequel. Yeah, don't be a chump and think the theremin is all that's out there. It's a little weird just to think how old some more typical instruments are. Sure, electrification changes a lot of the sound that they were capable of, but looking at guitars, pianos, woodwinds, brass. These instruments are often hundreds of years old. Comparatively, the theremin may seem like the new kid on the block. True, but the Chapman stick makes the theremin look positively ancient. Just about everyone knows what a theremin sounds like. Let's hear a little from the Chapman stick. Just listening to it, I would think it would be two instruments, since you have that bass and the melody guitar soundy parts. That's one of the things that really makes the Chapman stick stand out, being able to play those two sections at the same time. Though it originally started out as a modification to a guitar in the late 60s, it's definitely turned into its own unique instrument. If you haven't Googled it already, it looks like a really long and wide guitar neck, and you hold it kind of like a woodwind instrument with two hands. We wanted to learn a little more about the history of it and how it's played. We talked to Greg Howard, who's been playing stick, that's what the cool kids call it, since 1985. The stick, or a Chapman stick, uh, was invented by uh, Emmett Chapman back in uh, 1969. Uh, he invented the technique of playing the instrument simultaneous with the instrument because it's really based on a new way of making music. Uh, prior to uh, Emmett 
uh, discovering one day that he could tap on the instrument with both hands in the same fashion, uh, coming at the board from opposite sides. Uh, there had been musicians who were tapping on guitars previously, but they always held their right hand in a conventional orientation with the guitar. So uh, Harry D. Armand uh, invented that way of playing the guitar to show off his pickups, uh, tapping on the strings. And then he had a, a student named Jimmy Webster who uh, developed that into kind of a method on the guitar, uh, which they called the touch system. But uh, of course, back in those days, people didn't really know about uh, what other people were doing. There was no internet, so it was hard to find out about uh, obscure things in the world. And uh, Emmett thought that he had invented two-handed tapping completely. But it turns out he had invented only one particular method of two-handed tapping, which is where the hands are basically equal partners on the board, approaching the board in the same way. Uh, so he, he made this discovery in August of 1969 and quickly started to remove parts of his uh, custom nine-string guitar, which he had made. He took the body off and uh, started to uh, minimize the construction of it, uh, added an extra string and ended up with 10 strings, uh, also in an unusual tuning, which he had developed for the guitar, which expanded the chordal range of the instrument but which ended up working out really well for, uh, for two-handed tapping as well. So the appeal of the stick is uh, different depending on where you're coming from as a musician. Uh, so uh, guitar players, uh, they get the benefit of having an additional accompaniment part in their left hand so they can play melodies with their right hand and chords and accompaniment with their left hand, getting down into the range of a bass player. Uh, a bass player can uh, add guitar parts and uh, extra chordal functions and melodic statements to his music. Uh, if you're a keyboardist like I was, then you get the uh, expression of having your fingers right on the strings, uh, which guitarists and bass players have. Uh, and if you're a percussionist, for example, then you get uh, to use your hands and the rhythmic qualities that you've developed in them, but adding pitch uh, and uh, orchestration to what you're doing. Uh, so uh, it really it really opens a lot of doors for anybody who wants to pick it up, depending on uh, where you're coming from musically. I was started out uh, playing keyboards and uh, clarinet, saxophone uh, when I was a kid, and played in rock bands with those instruments. I think the thing that the stick brought for me was uh, much greater expression. And uh, I really just fell in love with the sound of it. When I heard Tony playing it, and then when I got to try one for myself, I just loved the, uh, the immediacy of the sound. And uh, it's very clear, you know, it has a very strong uh, kind of an attack, almost like a, like a picked acoustic instrument. Uh, but it also has a really great sustain. So you can, you can really build very complex orchestrations out of the music. Uh, and I've always been really into improvisation. And so it's a very easy instrument to accompany yourself on. Uh, the left hand can provide a really strong rhythmic and chordal bed while the right hand solos over that. Or you get a really intense uh, interaction between your two hands. It's almost like you have two brains. Like if you were a reggae band, you could be the bass player and the rhythm guitarist. And the fact that you have just one brain controlling both of those parts means that you can really change things uh, and change the interaction instantly between those two musicians in a way that uh, the two players never could do with each other. Now, what I love about the Chapman stick is just how modern it is. 
like it isn't a figured out instrument where we're just trying to make the perfect version of it. We're still figuring out all the cool things you can do with a Chapman stick. Yeah, and Emmett Chapman is still alive. So theoretically, if you were nice enough, I suppose you could ask him a question about the development of it. It's not like you can call Mr. Violin in the phone book and shoot the breeze. Uh, not that anybody uses a phone book anymore. Well, it takes a special kind of musician to want to not just come up with a unique way to play an existing instrument, but to realize that the best way to do that style is to create your own. And there's all sorts of cool versions of the Chapman stick that really innovated with technology. Yeah, in the 80s, Chapman, the man, not the stick, developed one called the Grid. Displayed a weird CGI version of a young Jeff Bridges. <laughs> not, not quite, Scott. Uh, but it might actually sound at home on a Daft Punk soundtrack. It had strings that were all the same gauge that could output assignable MIDI signals, really opening up the sounds you could create with it. Yeah, and these days, you can also get MIDI pickups on a regular stick as well. The variety of Chapman sticks out there really speak to the versatility of an instrument. Just like an electric guitar, you can get all sorts of different pickups to create a unique sound. They've made sticks with everything from ironwood to bamboo necks. Just like people come to the Chapman stick from a lot of different musical backgrounds, each stick kind of feels like a little individualized as well. Ironwood. I'm going to look for that recipe in Animal Crossing. And while the Chapman stick is definitely a niche instrument, it's probably most commonly heard in prog rock, where the kind of intricate melodies and complex effects would feel at home. But talking to Greg Howard, he's playing the stick with jazz ensembles, electronica groups, even Dave Matthews Band. But the world of instruments that are better than the theremin does not end there. There are a whole world of instruments that can be called expressive electronic instruments. Many of these come out of the frustrations musicians had with existing instruments. Same thing that kind of started Emmett Chapman on his journey to creating a new instrument. A lot of musicians wanted to get very specific sounds out of electronic instruments, but found that working with more traditional ones that had been electrified, like the guitar, really kind of limiting. It's kind of this idea of why am I trying to translate an electric sound from this vibrating string? There have to be so much more direct and expressive ways to create this sound without being bound to a form factor it was never intended for. And if the Chapman stick was new compared to the theremin, these expressive electric instruments are on the very cutting edge, being developed throughout the 90s and continuing to today. The one that really kicks all of this off is the Continuum Fingerboard, developed by Lippold Hacken. introduces two concepts a lot of these instruments share. For one, these are actually controllers, and that way they don't generate sound themselves by design and instead speak to software on a general purpose computer. The second is the ability to affect the sound across multiple axes simultaneously. The continuum itself is laid out in a linear fashion, like a keyboard, but the keys are all the same size, and the playing technique is a lot different. 
It's made of squishy neoprene too, so while it kind of looks like a regular keyboard, as soon as you see someone playing it, the difference is obvious. What's interesting here to me, Scott, is seeing the merging of computer science with music to create new experiences that are somewhat divorced from the traditional constraints of analog instruments. Instead of trying to replicate traditional instruments with familiar layouts, the continuum begins to forge its own path. Synthesizers started this by letting players modulate the pitch, but the continuum is a programmable instrument that can be customized with a computer to really let musicians have more direct expression of the sounds they want to make. And while the continuum really kicked off this movement, other instruments were much more comfortable abandoning the even vaguely traditional feel of the continuum to open up more possibilities. We sat down with Geert Bevan, a senior software engineer and self-described code gardener, I love that name, at Moog Music. He describes what drove him to look for more expressive instruments. And I've mostly like played guitar, uh, steel string guitar, and got a lot into open tunings, uh, uh, mostly with Bert Jansch. Um, and then like who, who, who inspired Jimmy Page and like, a lot of the open tuning approaches to the Led Zeppelin songs. Um, and then going into open tuning I was like, hmm, I don't need any music theory. I'll just listen, what I'm, like, listen to what I'm playing and just detune the guitar to figure out interesting ways to combine open strings and fretted strings and how can I have drone sounds going on while playing something else on, like, on top of it. Um, and then going from there, I had never touched the electric guitar. Um, well, I actually did touch electric guitar a little bit. Like I, I decided to take some jazz courses and that was like, oh yeah, you gotta play the electric guitar. So I, I, I got an electric guitar, but it was really not for me. So I set that aside, but then I started a band um, and it felt like I wanted to use an electric guitar, but I couldn't really get the sounds that I wanted from it. And I had also gotten interested in synthesizers. Um, so I was looking into a MIDI guitar and I couldn't get that to work really well. Like I tried them all. Like, ended up with the accent which like did early detection of like this like the sound of the pick actually hitting the strings and not just the notes but trying to predict how it would end up sounding just from the initial attack onwards it was a bit better but still it was really hard to do anything expressive you had to be really clear in your playing otherwise it would do strange things and then from then onwards um I saw the announcement of a new instrument called the Eigenharp, which is a fully electronic musical instrument where the premise was, what if you create an array of 132 super high sensitive center sensors that pivot in a three-dimensional axis individually, um, and then use that as a sort of massive data stream that you can do things with. Like a traditional thing would be, hey, I'm just bending notes up and down, but you could actually imagine it as a 3D mesh that you like massage. Um, so that interested me a lot because like, it made sense. Instead of trying to use the sound from a string to translate that into electronic data to then create synthesized sounds with, it seemed like that seemed like a little bit of a like 
the long way around to do what you actually want to do is sense what you're doing and then synthesize sound. So he brought up the Eigenharp, a 3D mesh that you massage. And looking at it, it actually has a passing resemblance to a Chapman stick, although it's actually a bit bigger than a Chapman stick. Those 132 sensors he referenced are arranged in five rows with 24 frets plus 12 bigger keys on the very bottom row. Like a lot of these expressive instruments, what's really cool about them is that each creator can truly customize how they want to use it. Want those bottom keys to be your percussion? Maybe go for more of a Chapman stick-like layout? No problem. Want to use it to simulate the movement of a bow? That'll work too. Want it to sound like the punch sounds from an Indiana Jones movie? Have at it. The Eigenharp also isn't just open for different playing styles and configurations. It leans into open technology. The processing software for it is all open sourced under the GPL license, and that's important because it doesn't actually do any digital processing on the Eigenharp device itself. Instead, the creators focus on making the sensor extremely high resolution and created a lossless protocol to send over to the computer for the actual processing. Each key generates a different stream for the three axes of sound it can play, which is a lot of information if you're using six to ten fingers while you're playing. And that's what makes it so cool. These instruments aren't just the realization of things no one ever thought to do before with an instrument. In a lot of ways, the things the Eigenharp does just wouldn't be technically possible even just a few years ago. But as cool as the Eigenharp is, and it is very cool, the use of those lossless protocols, whether open source or not, means it doesn't natively work with a lot of existing audio workstations, and that has limited its adoption as a controller in some ways. It's because the music industry, when it comes to electric instruments, basically moves at the speed of MIDI. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with MIDI. It emerged in the early 80s as a standard to sync electric instruments, regardless of the vendor. But the standard predates all of these new breed of instruments or controllers or whatever you want to call them by well over a decade. And the Eigenharp definitely wants to move beyond some of those limitations. Well, in fact, the history of MIDI might be not a bad idea for a future Current Geek Chronicles mm -hmm. episode, Tom. So yeah, if the Eigenharp maybe ended up being a reaction to MIDI, the Linstrument represents an attempt to create an ideal instrument to use the protocol. It's really interesting to see how functional the design of the Linstrument is Instead of still holding to an idea of a keyboard or trying to emulate another instrument, it's an array of sensors, either 200 or 128, depending on the model. So you get this thing that can be played horizontally with all 10 fingers, but with the ability to play it across the entire breadth of an instrument, like a Chapman stick. Yeah, we've moved on to the Linstrument. That's right, you've forgotten all about the theremin now, haven't you? There's so many of these cool things. Now, the Linstrument almost looks like an LED panel that you're rocking out on. And to help get the most out of what MIDI can do, the sensors on this can actually sense input based on five different signals. It looks at the velocity you hit and release a sensor with, records movements across two axes, and adjusts for pressure when holding a note. What's really cool about these grid-type instruments is that they can be tuned to be isometric. That means the relationships of the sounds are consistent. The impact of this is that you can learn a few simple shapes to make on the sensors and essentially move that around until you get the tuning that you want. And Tom, because it's using MIDI, it kind of just works to control anything, from old synthesizers to a workstation on an iPad. 
And while it operates differently than the Eigenharp on the protocol level, they both hold to a very open ethos in their approach. In fact, Geert Bevan, who we heard from a moment ago, wrote the firmware for the Linstrument. And that's all open source for people who want to muck around with it. This seems to be a key for a lot of expressive instruments. This openness is a feature to better serve expression. Geert compares it to being able to take your guitar down to a guitar shop and change out the pickups or file down the bridge. The instrument itself isn't just made for expression. That extends down to changing how it operates at a very fundamental level. In that way, think of a closed source electric instrument. I guess you're kind of just buying a license to use that software. You don't really own it, just allowed to use it as the manufacturer wants. All of these instruments really seem like efforts to get musicians more directly in control with making the sound that they want. And really, I feel like that's what people find so fascinating about something as old as the theremin even today. In fact, if you look at the other instruments created by Leon Theremin, you see him trying to reach out for more expressive options. He invents the theremin in 1920, but in 1932, he tries something called the Terpsitone, which is basically a platform designed to let music be controlled by a dancer's movements of all things. Oh, so why don't we ever talk about that? It sounds amazing. It was completely impossible to control, it turns out. But even with the theremin, the expression is part of the appeal. It seems kind of unique, letting a musician literally make sounds out of thin air. And even though those oscillators can make some cool sounds, in reality, playing the theremin isn't so much expressive as it is constrictive. So you have to hold your body just right, breathe in a certain way, make sure there's no radio interference. It's kind of a huge pain. And that's why it's exciting to see some of these new controllers using modern technology to remove a lot of the constraints with how we generate sound, letting musicians have the connection they want to make music rather than just adapting to what's out there. In fact, we're even seeing a modern day re-spin of the theremin using something called the Leap Motion Controller. This is a standard control interface for a PC, costs less than $100, but can do almost zero latency hand and finger tracking, which means it's pretty easy to map that to an audio workstation and make the sound you want, including controlling it like a theremin. And getting back to where we started, just like there's nothing wrong with Freebird, it doesn't mean that it's the best song in classic rock. The theremin is great if that's the sound you want and the way the musician wants to craft it. But the last few decades have seen instruments that give musicians the tools to get even closer to expressing the sounds they want to make. And that doesn't end with what we've covered here. There's the harpeggi, the automaton, the zeusophone, audio cubes, a whole world out there to explore. So yeah, you're not a chump if the theremin is your thing. Just know that there's a whole expressive world of music out there to explore. Current Geek Chronicles is produced by Hammond Chamberlain and Rich Straffolino. Executive produced and hosted by Scott Johnson and Tom Merritt. Interviews provided by Herrick Bevan and Greg Howard. The Continuum was performed by Jordan Rudis. The Theremin was performed by Abon Schletter. Additional music by Herrick Bevan and Greg Howard. 
Our theme music is by Eric Van Skyhawk. Get more of his songs on Apple Music and Spotify under the name Skyhawk. Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com.